on, church, a 10-second praise break. proper place. You are above every other name. Your name is above all evil and all injustice. Your throne sits above all cancer and all disease and a virus and a pandemic and anxiety and depression and anything and everything that we happen to be going through right now. Your name is above it all. And so we bless your name, the beautiful perfect, powerful, amazing, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen and make some noise if you got anything to be grateful for this morning. Come on. And as you, uh, as you turn around and give away one wink and take a seat, if you feel comfortable, uh, scoot in a little bit. We're trying to make a little bit more room. If you're still looking for a seat, I know there's some available on this far side over there. You guys, welcome to church. It is so good to see you. I'm so excited for today. Um, this is the day the Lord has made, amen? So lean in today like he made it for you and listen today like it's on purpose and worship today like the creator of everything is right here and wants to meet with you today. And whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, you have a home at this church. God loves you exactly the way you walked in here and way too much to let any of us leave unchanged. And if this is your first time, you're not crashing this party, you're the guest of honor at this party. We're so grateful that you're here. Welcome to Red Rocks Church where we are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God and that starts from the top down with your knucklehead pastors. We love you. If you have your Bible, go ahead and get that out and go to Daniel chapter one. Does anybody have an actual real Bible on them? Let me see it. I wanna see, oh, come on, there we go. God doesn't have favorites, I do. I'm looking at you. Daniel chapter one, if you need a few more moments to get there, say, hold up. I heard a faint hold up. Was that you, Haley? You know where Daniel is. You got eight seconds. Ian, are you good? Anybody seen season two of uh, Ted Lasso yet? Yes, okay. I haven't. I've heard there's a lot of cussing. Ethan tells me about it. I'm kidding, I've seen it. It's amazing. Okay, time's up, Foster. Daniel chapter one, starting in verse one, here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now pause. This speaks to the biblical narrative of the Israelites, the group of people chosen by God to be a light to the world. And if you know your Bible, you know the entire Old Testament is the story of them royally failing at that, of them consistently turning away from God and worshiping other idols before him and God repeatedly rescuing them. Because how many know sometimes the worst thing that could ever happen to you is for God to give you what you want. C.S. Lewis says, in the end, 
There's really just two types of people. Those, to say, those, to, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Well, in 587 BC, God essentially says to the Israelites, thy will be done, and hands Jerusalem to the Babylonians, and Jerusalem is destroyed, and we keep reading, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. It's capital G, God. These, Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of his God. So this was the ancient way of saying, our God beat up your God, basically. Israelites essentially were taken from their homes and torn away from their families and relocated in exile all over Babylon. We keep reading. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, we'll just call him Ash for my sanity, chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, listen to this, young men without any physical defect, handsome, just picture Ian as I read this, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, once again, handsome, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace, and handsome. All you single ladies, this is your new life verse. Keep going. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. So that's not fast food, okay? I'm talking perfectly grilled, medium-rare filet mignon from Perry's Steakhouse paired with a a 22-year cab every single night in the palace, okay? They were to be trained. They had it made, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, enter the king's service, where, by the way, they would thrive and succeed and do really, really well in Babylon. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And then Ash goes on to change their names, change their clothes. He tries to change their diet and basically attempts to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. So today, I want to preach a message called Kill the Chameleon. And just so we're all on the same page, it's a metaphor, okay? No literal lizards were harmed in the writing of this sermon. So turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, respect animals, but kill the chameleon. And let's pray one more time that God would speak to us. God, we love you so much. Holy Spirit, you are so welcomed in this place. Would you speak? to even the most hidden places and spaces in our hearts. We're listening right now, and we love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kill the chameleon. So fitting in is easier than standing out. Have you noticed this? I think we think we want to stand out. I don't think we really do. Why? Because fitting in is way easier than standing out. I found this out my freshman year of high school when I got my very first puka shell necklace. Now, why 
Why would I get a puka shell necklace? Because fitting in is easier than standing out. So you laugh now, but you just wait until next summer. This is my puka prophecy for 2022. Everybody's going to be wearing these things a year from now, okay? I'm telling you. Bring it back. So I, I show you this. I show you this because... You need to know who your pastors are because today I really want you to make more of an educated decision as to whether or whether or not you want to really call this place home. Like really think about it today. Um, we'll start with me in the top right corner. This is my first puka shell necklace. This is about as stereotypical as a puka story gets. This is a, a family vacation in Cancun. I bought that at the hotel gift shop three hours before my first scuba diving lesson with sun and spray in my hair to turn it blonde. I mean, that says... And then the year after that, my freshman year, yet another puka shell necklace. And then my junior year, yet another... I think I doubled up on the puka shell necklaces my junior year. And then obviously my brother Ryan. I mean, this is a varsity puka shell necklace. That's like the kind of shells. I mean, it looks like he, he collected that from the beach and made that. Those are the kind of puka shells that'll cut your neck if you're not careful. Um, this, ain't, this ain't a beginner's puka necklace, you guys. This is varsity. But how many know Ryan's a varsity human being? He is. Did my mom ask me to say that today? Yes. But he is. Ryan's, he's an exceptional, just amazing person. I wish I could say that about this guy in the bottom right. Um, I was told if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything. So I will... I'll just stop right there. Um, the puka shell necklace, easier to fit in than it is to stand out. I also learned that my freshman year of high school when I realized my life's gonna be a lot easier at school as soon as I start wearing extra slim fit Abercrombie and Fitch polo shirts with the, with the popped collar. If I can double up on the polo shirt and pop both collars at the same time, that's even better. And you know I was rocking the Hollister body spray by Jake just like everybody else. So all the girls would come up to me and go, oh my gosh, Doug, you smell so good. And I'd say, thanks. Yeah, I smell like every other guy in our grade. Haven't you noticed our classroom smells like Hollister? That's why you have a bloody nose and my eyes are watering and, and we all have headaches, but hey, at least we all fit in because it's easier than standing out. That's why we tend to walk and talk like the people around us. Studies show we subconsciously imitate the accents of the people we talk to. This is why your friend who studied abroad in London for six months came back with a full-blown British accent. <laughs> and you're like, sweetie, you're not, you're not from England. We know, we get it. You lived in Britain for six months, but welcome, like stop, stop doing afternoon tea, right? It's so my favorite joke about Ted Lasso, by the way, is when they just call tea bad. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. Somebody's saying it. I mean, I drink it, but it's just bad, okay? Tea is just not good. It's like people who drink IPAs. It's just, hey, I'm convinced, I'm convinced nine out of 10 people who, and you, you, know, you know who drinks IPAs because they tell you. But I'm convinced nine out of 10 of them, like really mean well, are really trying to like, like it, but actually hate it. Oh, okay, because bitter is good. Okay, yeah. Email me. I, I, actually, don't, don't. What was I saying? IPAs, tea, Ted Lasso, 
studying abroad. Oh, accents. We tend to we tend to impersonate accents of the people that we're around. And so let me be the bad guy here, okay? It's easy for me to make fun of myself. I have a lot of content for it. Okay, so when I'm with southern people, I start saying y'all. Just out of nowhere. I don't even know why. I just start saying y'all. When I'm with my friends who like from Laguna Beach, I start calling everything rad. <laughs> I never do that. Like, I know who I am and I know who I'm not. I don't know where that comes from. When I'm out to dinner with pastors who are not from Red Rocks, I'm on my best behavior and I start just saying stuff like, bless you, brother, and I pray longer before dinner for the meals. And when I'm around people who cuss, I speak life over them. See, you almost had me. I pray for their gosh darn souls is what I do, church. We walk and talk like the people around us. I learned this in, in college at, uh, at football games, even at, like at sporting events. I just become like the stadium, sitting with all the other students. It's, it's still the first quarter, but I am compl- like, I forget who I am, and I'm just completely engulfed into this angry mob mentality of college students shouting the most repulsive and horrible things to the students on the other side of the stadium, like, how dare you have the, the, the nerve and audacity to go to a different school than me <laughs> and have moments of clarity where I'm like, what, what are we doing? Like, I, I'm mad. Are you mad? Are we mad? Why are we mad? Oh, we hate those people. Why? Oh, they got into a different school than us. Oh, okay. All right. And then, you know, like fitting in is easier than standing out. So what's my point? I do have one. Puka Shell Summer 2022. No, I'm kidding. Not really. Well, Maybe. Only time will tell. My point is there is a chameleon in every single one of us. The chameleon wants to blend in with its surroundings, right? So whatever conversation or room or city that I'm in, there's something in me that wants to walk and talk like everybody else. I remember this feeling when I, when I went away to college, the chameleon rising up in me. It's that part of you that is holding on for dear life that looks at the rest of the world and says, I will be whatever you want to see. I will be whatever you need me to be. It's the part of you that will behave different from your beliefs in order to please people or succeed. The chameleon wants the road most traveled. The chameleon in you compromises to the culture around you. The chameleon, simply put, is the opposite of integrity. So what is integrity? While reputation is who others think you are, Integrity is who you really are. So simply put, integrity is when your behaviors match your beliefs. Integrity is when you practice what you preach. The word integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which means whole and complete and integrated in every single part of your life. So here's, here's how I've heard it explained. You might have your, your professional life, right? And this is who you are at work. But then you also have your, your family life. And this is who your spouse and your kids know you as. But then there's also your, your social life. And on top of that, I also got my Instagram life. This is, the, this is the filtered image you project to the world. And then there's also my, my spiritual life. This is who I am at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, right? 
And when you live that way, you treat Jesus as a a supplement for one part of your life rather than the savior of all of your life, except Jesus isn't a supplement. And that might be why you feel like this Jesus thing is not working. But then there's the one part that nobody knows about, and that is my, that's my private life. And Craig Rochelle says, hey, without even knowing it or realizing it, we tend to live a very compartmentalized life, you guys, which might be why so many of us just feel low grade, like off on the inside, because Proverbs says, duplicity destroys. When like the chameleon, we change our colors to fit our compartment. But the word integrity means all compartments integrated. When who you are, regardless of the room or city or conversation you're in, is one. By the way, Proverbs has another side effect for integrity. It's afternoon naps and sleeping through the night. So why, church, is integrity, which is the topic for today, why, why is living integrated so challenging and so difficult? I'll tell you, it's because the devil has, has no interest in your integrity, nor does your flesh, nor does the world. Culture wants your conformity, not your integrity. And that is why I am so fascinated with Daniel and his buddies, because they are 16 years old in Daniel chapter 1. When I was 16 years old, I was wearing puka shells and getting kicked out of youth group. Yet these 16-year-olds have been torn from their families and everything familiar, everything familiar, and dragged into exile into the most dominant and, and seductive culture of their time, Babylon. And yet they keep their integrity. Their behaviors continue to match their beliefs, even in exile. Exile is a biblical theme that starts in Genesis chapter 3, the moment Adam and Eve leave the garden. Exile is a, is a biblical theme that refers to God's people living in a host culture that is not just different. It is fundamentally opposed to their beliefs. I'm not sure if that sounds familiar, but Psalm 137, the prophet Jeremiah laments this from exile in Babylon. He says, how long shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? So that's why we're doing a series called Babylon, Strangers in a Strange Land. Because Babylon was a city. It was a city. It is now a symbol. Babylon was a locality It is now a mentality. Babylon was a kingdom back in Daniel's day. Babylon is now a current that you and me work and live in. And the whole point of the book of Daniel is to be a message of hope that motivates faithfulness to future generations of Christians who live in cities like ours. Austin is officially a post-Christian city. The tides of secularism are high and are rising. We're gonna talk more about that next week. It is not normal or cool to follow Jesus in Austin, Texas. It has moved beyond you just being weird because you're a Jesus follower. 
Cities like Austin are now starting to see followers of Jesus actually as the problem. But this is our home. And in my opinion, one of the most amazing cities in the world. And we're not going anywhere. And I love it here. And we will fight the temptation called separatism. Separatism is when you retreat from the world so that you can remain true to who you are. Separatism essentially says, let me get away from all the sinners so I don't get that on me. I guess the temptation as a community is, hey, guys, let's go like deep into hill country, start a, start a community where we can keep our integrity, but at the, at the sacrifice of our influence. And I guess I'm just trying to say not a chance because there are so many people who need Jesus. And that is the point of Daniel. It is 12 chapters long. Chapters one through six is all historical. It's all the stories that you've heard and the ones we're gonna talk about in here. Chapters seven through 12 is apocalyptic prophecy, and it's crazy. It's a fascinating read. By all means, read it, but I wanna challenge you, especially for the next few weeks, read Daniel's chapter one through six because it answers this question. How do you stay in the world without becoming the world and in doing so, change the world? See, Daniel and his friends, they get torn from their homes. Hey, here's a new name. Here's new clothes. Here's a new diet. Here's a three-year school that is socially engineered to erase your loyalty to Yahweh and erase your faith. Here is sexual company in the king's palace. Here's a a medium-rare filet mignon every single night at the king's table. Notice Babylon appeals to both their ambitions and their appetites, that Babylon much like Austin, is so seductive. And I love, you're looking at the biggest fan of Austin, Texas. I'm not scared, I'm sober. We live in a very seductive city. That's why Christians move here and then three years later aren't Christians. Oh yeah, that story will happen one million times in the next year in our country alone. This is a pattern of my generation especially in the name of being the the cool Christian who's in the world because Jesus would be. We slowly and softly become more and more of the world until being in the world was really just a a layover to post-Christian. That's why I wanna know what Daniel did. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. What did those guys do? How did they keep their influence without compromising their integrity? How do you stay in and stand out? To put it another way, how do you kill the chameleon? The part of you that that is holding on for dear life that says to the world, I will be whatever you want me to be. The road most traveled. How do, you, how do you kill the chameleon? I wanna, just the rest of the sermon, give you three ways to do that. Three ways to kill the chameleon. Number one, you kill the chameleon with community. Stand by yourself, fall by yourself. You know what Daniel and his friends had, each other, had with each other? This is how, I'm, how I'm, I'm describing it. Stubbornly intentional friendships. I love that word, like stubbornly intentional friendship. So I'll say it this way. Having buddies is easy, 
but real community, stubbornly intentional friendships who care about your faith and don't let you compromise, that kind of friendship only happens on purpose. In my life, God has used those kinds of friends more than anything else to help me kill the chameleon. Because whoever told you following Jesus was easy or safe, especially in a Babylon current, lied to you. And statistically, the number one determining factor for where you will end up in your life is who you are doing life with. And that's just, I mean, that's just logical. You will head in the direction of the people that you're driving through life with. I'll say it this way. It's really, and that doesn't, like, so here's the the question. Are there any relationships that you need a hiatus from? It's not because you're better than them. Absolutely, like, we understand we're Christians not because we think we're, we're better than the world, but because we know we're not. So it's not because you're better than them. It's because you're trying to go a different direction. It's just a, it's just a direction issue. And you will have a really hard time going to the Pacific Ocean on a road trip, traveling in the same car with a group of friends trying to get to the Atlantic. It's just, I mean, it's just a direction thing. The number one determining factor for where you will end up in life are the people you are driving with. So check your circle because your closest friendships will either push you towards God or pull you away. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Don't ask yourself, who are the friends who are gonna go eat steak with me at the palace tonight? Ask yourself, who are the friends who are gonna walk with me into the fiery furnace and swim against this this Babylonian current when God is calling us in this direction? Who are the friends that fireproof your faith? By the way, are you that kind of friend that fireproofs somebody else's faith? I think of the, like the lame man on the mat in Mark chapter two. Don't ask yourself, who's gonna, who's gonna go to Cancun with me and party with me? Ask yourself, who is gonna carry my mat and, and, and rip a hole through a freaking roof to get me to Jesus when I'm desperate for Jesus in my life, guys? You might lose friends because you choose to stand for something greater than yourself. It's really hard for sitters to be around standers. Keep standing and stubbornly commit to your Christian community, which according to Paul will require us bearing with each other, even through disagreement and forgiving each other and choosing to see the best in each other and giving each other the benefit of the doubt and keeping each other accountable, which by the way, requires a willingness from you to be kept accountable and encouraging and challenging, which by the way, requires a willingness from you to be challenged because I'm telling you statistically, community, oh, this is, this is so key. Community statistically might just be the reason you are still following Jesus or not in three years. This is the reason we do groups at Red Rocks. It's why we take that so serious. There's a classic preacher quote. I've heard this at so many conferences. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. I used to roll my eyes at that, but the longer I've done ministry and the more conversations I've had and life I've observed, the more I hear that quote and I go, yep, absolutely. Show me your five closest friends. I will prophesy over you your next 
five years. You want to kill the chameleon in your life? Community, 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 stubbornly tight-knit and intentional friendships with people who are heading in the same direction as you, like a city on a hill that refuse to be hidden with each other, where you can look to your left and to your right, and you see people on either side living it out and not compromising their integrity and killing the chameleon and being the real deal in the world, but not of the world, in the world, but standing out. And that's that's not peer pressure, that's confidence that comes from community. It's community confidence. When I look to my right and I see Kyle doing that, and I look to my left and I see Nick doing that, and it inspires me to go, I wanna live that way too. That's my word for somebody in this room, inspire. By the way that you live, the things you say, the things you do, and your integrity, inspire the rest of Red Rocks Church, all of us to go, I wanna do that. What that person is doing, the integrity that they live with, stubbornly tight-knit friendships. Never give up on Christian community, amen? Okay, number two, character. Because it's not the same thing as integrity. And I'll explain that in a second. For the past 10 years, God has placed three celebrities on my heart to pray for, for whatever reason. The Biebs, obviously. (laughs) Katy Perry, who sings the greatest song ever, Wide Awake. (laughs) And Tiger Woods. Um, Tiger is a role model of mine for his perseverance. On November 27, 2009, Tiger got in a car wreck outside of his house in Florida as his wife, who was rightfully very angry, tried to break through the glass of his Buick with his nine iron. And in the following months, it was revealed that Tiger was involved in multiple affairs. It was shocking news that was devastating for his golf career and heartbreaking for so many of his fans who, like like myself, who look up to him. And now, let me say this, we love comeback stories because God loves comeback stories. And Tiger is still a role model of mine because he has made crazy amounts of progress beneath the weight of pressure that I cannot even imagine or, or fathom. But why, here's my question. Why was that event so devastating? Because that kind of stuff happens all the time. It's almost more normal for that stuff to happen than to not happen. If you wanna shock the world, just have integrity. You will shock the world. They won't know how to categorize you all the time. So why was that so devastating? I think I know the answer. Because Tiger's image, follow me, was a role model. And we were led to believe one thing, even though Tiger lived another thing. His life was compartmentalized, not integrated. He was one person in his public world. He was a different person in his private world. Now, two things. First things first. In some way and to some extent, you're doing the same thing. And so am I. The Bible says there is duplicity in every human heart. So when you hear stories about moral failure in pop culture, is your first gut instinct to judge and gossip or take a self-assessment? Five seconds, I'm just gonna. Number two, 
Character is not the same thing as integrity. So keep following me. Character is who you really are. It is your substance. It's what you preach. Integrity is simply just the accuracy to which you live out that character. In other words, if, you, if your character, if you preach immorality and then you practice immorality, you actually have very, very high integrity. But as followers of Jesus, our calling is to our character. Why? Because God looks at the heart. And as Christians, I just, I I really believe this. We do not have a problem projecting a good image. I think we have a problem matching that public image with the private character. So if I were to tell you I can bench press 300 pounds, but truth be told, I could just bench press 100. I don't have integrity there. So there's, there's two ways that I could fix that. Number one, I could just tell you the truth about what I really bench. Or number two, I could get my butt to the gym until I can bench press 300 pounds. Then what I'm doing at the gym matches what I'm telling you about. This is what working on your character does in your private world. Building your character until it matches your public image until your substance behind the scenes matches the projected filtered image that everybody sees, giving attention to my private world until it syncs up with my Instagram world. Church character is everything, and it gets developed or dismantled with every small decision we make. What will you do today when nobody's watching? Do you tell that story and slant it in a way that makes you look good and makes them look bad? Do you lie about your kid's age to get a discount at the movies? Which means your integrity is worth $4.50. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm talking to me. That's the question. What's your integrity worth? <laughs> it's worth cheating on that. T- okay, so my integrity is worth one A minus. Your integrity is everything, man. Charisma gets the world's attention. Character gets God's attention. Kill the chameleon. And finally, number three, kill the chameleon with confession. Confession. After all, you only camouflage when you're trying to hide. Confession is a Christian cuss word. So a lot of you, when I said that, you just, you heard Is that where we hear that in church and go, well, I'm not doing that. (laughs) And think that to our own peril. Because James says, confess your stuff and watch yourself be healed. In other words, it's not for God, it's actually for you. Confession is for your freedom. You can have secrets, as my friend Chad says, you can have secrets or you can have freedom, but you can't have both. Forgiveness is letting them off the hook, but confession lets you off the hook. So here's my challenge to you, man. Ask for help. Talk to somebody about your stuff. Everybody doesn't have to know your stuff. Somebody needs to. Find somebody and tell them your stuff. There's a couple guys in this room. They know all of my stuff. Literally all of it, man, leads to healing and freedom. We are all imperfect people pursuing a perfect God, unless you took communion for breakfast this morning and then floated into church today. None of us, you guys, welcome to the party. We are all sinners saved by grace. 
imperfect people. Like integrity doesn't require your perfection. If that was true, only Jesus has integrity. We don't need you. It doesn't need you to always be right, just to always be real. We just need some real Christians. That's why our first value here is authenticity. Confess your stuff, because until you do, you keep that in the dark, like that chameleon clinging for dear life, trying to hide, and isolation is where the enemy is having a field day with you. Take it out of isolation into the light where sin melts away and shame loses any kind of grip it might have on your life. I believe David had crazy amounts of integrity, not because he was perfect, but because he, he was real with his friends. So years later, he rose to the top in Babylon. People tried everything they could to tear him down, which will happen. Integrity always invites resistance, always. But Daniel 6, 4 says, they could find no corruption. Translation, duplicity. They could find no duplicity in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. And so they tried to trap him by tricking King Darius into making a decree that says you can't pray or worship to any God or any other human other than the king. But Daniel, because of his integrity, prays and worships to, to, to Yahweh, to God anyways. And because of that, he gets thrown into the lion's den. But then chapter 6, verse 22, Daniel, the author of Daniel, says this. The morning after, he spent the night in a den with lions, and he comes out untouched. He says, my God sent his angel he shut the mouths of these lions. They have not hurt me because I was found. And in the Hebrew, you can replace innocent with integrity. I was found innocent in his sight. Once again, was he perfect? No. Does integrity require your perfection? No. Just your realness. No duplicity. Between what I believe and how I behave, between what I preach and, and what I practice. And easier said than done? Yes. Is the simplicity of that a little bit refreshing? Yeah. That you don't need to be perfect? Whew. Daniel's integrity got him through the lion's den. And I'm glad nobody amen that because his integrity also got him in there in the first place. And in a Babylon current, that will happen because integrity invites resistance. Man, you kill the chameleon with community, with character, and with confession. And worship team, you can come up. And I will finish here. I, uh, I've had a very interesting week. I'm gonna get a little real with you for a second. I've had a very interesting week preparing for this message. I've never been punched in the gut more by the Holy Spirit than I have this week. Um, so that's why I'm so grateful. I'm like, now I can just, now you can be. So <laughs> love you guys. Thank you. Um, I have a, a, a weird memory. Um, uh, I, can, I can memorize like eight sheets of manuscripted sermon if I need to. And... I get, I get a lot of attention for doing this when I do it well. And, I mean, that's, that's great. Um, but that also brings with it this pressure to feel like I need to, I need to perform. That's a, 
another part of the chameleon that is so in me, you guys, if I could just be honest, is, uh, man, I love when I feel like I'll get everybody to laugh here and, and shout amen here. I'll have them crying by this point and I, I know exactly where I'm going. And for whatever reason, like it felt like the Holy Spirit just like wouldn't let me um, memorize this thing. And I think that's because the topic I'm talking to you about is, is the one where he's going, I, this is for you, buddy. Um, cause I can so often like, here's a, here's a great sermon. And then I, and then I just miss it for me. And I just felt like God was like, not, not this week because I'm talking to you right now. Um, I want so badly for the duplicity that's in my life, uh, to, to be shrunk down to zero, to be the same man up here preaching a sermon as I am any other moment in my life. I want so badly not to have compartments and to be whole and integrated. And, and well, none of us will ever fully be that this side of eternity. Um, but man, I want that more than how I have it right now. And uh, I never want any kind of influence to outgrow integrity. I'd rather an integrity lead the, the dance and then if, if any kind of influence, whatever it is, that, like, that's great. But integrity is, like, here's my dream. Here's what I dream of seeing is a, a generation of Christians in love with integrity, committed to shrinking the gap between who they are publicly and who they are privately. Why? Because we've got a generation of kids growing up behind us who are paying more attention than we think. And I see it in my two-year-old already. And my question is, yeah, maybe they can admire your image. Can they model your substance? I believe this is prophetic that the Holy Spirit is searching the world, not for influence, but for integrity. That right now, God is looking for hearts he can trust. I really, really want a heart that God can trust. And I'm hoping that that gets contagious a little bit. But it takes honesty, brutal honesty, self-assessment, looking inward, search me, oh God, search my heart and my soul. Where is there duplicity in me? Where is my integrity failing? When does your integrity fail? I'll tell you when it is for me. When I'm, when I'm in pain, when I have a migraine or a headache, when I'm hungry or when I'm tired or when I'm, when I'm tempted, when I see an easy route to some quick success, when, I, when it feels like God's not paying attention, when it feels like this is taking longer than it should, when the going gets tough, that's when I go, forget it. Like I, I'll take a break from following Jesus tonight. Or I'll take a season or a year or a decade off from being the man that I really know he made me to be. There is that in every single one of us, but it takes honesty to look at it. And then it takes inclining your posture and your heart to heaven to see the God whose integrity will never fail. Which by the way is why you don't need to be perfect. And by the way, is why integrity is not a command, but rather an invitation to say, hey, you want some afternoon naps? You want to sleep better? 
You want more favor on your life? I mean, none of this stuff is a formula, but there are spiritual principles invisible around us that are more real than gravity. And heaven is drawn towards integrity. It is God loves our integrity. God does not compromise. Even when we do, God does not. Even when it seems like he has delivered his people to Babylon, he's actually working a plan behind the scenes. Even when it feels like, God, have you turned your back? Like, have you turned your back to our nation right now? He's actually working a plan behind the scenes, even when you can't feel it. When your integrity fails, church, his does not. Even when you ignore his obsession towards you, that obsession still remains. Even when you hate him, he still loves you. Even when he pays the ultimate price and leaves paradise to come live a perfect life, only to be arrested and falsely tried and beaten and tortured and crucified for billions of people who will never care that he did. God remains true to his substance. I mean, you wanna talk about keeping integrity even in the face of pain and heartbreak and frustration and disappointment. I mean, that's when we compromise. God keeps his integrity fully knowing he's loving people who will never love him back. So you can be in here today or watching online and you can say, to tell you the truth, man, I don't, I don't know about this whole God thing, this Jesus stuff. I, and that, hey, I get that's fine. That's your prerogative. I'm just telling you, he will never stop watching you as you sleep every single night. A little creepy. I went into my son's room last night. I got home late from a wedding and I just, oh, I love him like that never acknowledge it never acknowledge this obsession towards you the obsession will remain because God cannot deny the content of his character he always acts in consistency to what that is he has no duplicity between who he is and what he does and who our God is church is unconditional extravagant overwhelming never ending dare I say even reckless love and that love has so much integrity that there is nothing on your end or or, or hell's end that will ever stop that love from coming after you because it's who he is, which means it's what he does. There is no chasm that will stop his love from getting to you. There is no bad week or bad year of your life as a Christian. There's no mess up or screw up or mistake that you could somehow pull off that's gonna keep God's love from you. His integrity is that good. No height, no depth, no angel, nor demon, nothing else in creation that's gonna keep this God from running after you. There is no there is no shadow he will not light up. There is no mountain he will not climb up no wall no door he will not kick in and kick down to get to you god is not compartmentalized god is integrated his love does what it is which has come for you at all costs and the greatest way to kill the chameleon and build your integrity is by fixing your eyes on the one who models that with the perfection that we don't have to have because he has taken care of it for us, amen. Will you guys stand up? Jesus, right now, we just fix our, high, our eyes to heaven. Um, 
I just pray away any condemnation right now in the name of Jesus, any shame, any guilt in Jesus' name. Life is too good just to, to waste it with nonsense like that. So in Jesus' name, condemnation be gone. But Jesus, I do, I do invite right now, Holy Spirit, this presence of conviction, this presence of challenge, this presence of invitation into a life of higher integrity. God, would you help us to look inward and take a self-assessment and get honest? What are the areas of my life where there is duplicity? Where what I preach is different than what I practice? Where what I believe is different from how I behave? Where my private world is different from who I am publicly? God, would you show me? Would you reveal it to me? Show me how I can kill the chameleon. So Jesus, we just, I mean, we can do what we can do on our end, community and character and confession. But at the end of the day, Jesus, we need something supernatural to take place in our hearts right now. So would you come in and speak to us and convict us and pick us up? And if we fall, help us to fall forward and challenge us into something more and give us a vision of the man or the woman that you really made us to be. so we can see it. Jesus, thank you for your integrity. Thank you that nothing would stop you from coming for us. Thank you for leaving paradise and living a perfect life and taking on the cross and taking on pain and taking on all of our sin, past, present, and future onto your body and your soul in one moment. As all the consequences do, that sin was poured out and absorbed perfectly and forever so that we might live whole and live free, pursuing integrity. We love you. You're amazing. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Red Rocks, let's worship.